Chapter Three, Part Two of Damien by Herman Hess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter Three: The Thief on the Cross, Part Two. Several times I attempted to imitate Damien's example by concentrating my willpower on something so firmly that I would have to attain it. I had desires which seemed to me sufficiently pressing, but nothing came of it. I could not bring myself to talk matters over with Damien. I should not have been able to make him understand what I wanted. He did not ask either. My faith in matters of religion had meanwhile suffered many a breach. Yet in my manner of thinking, which was entirely under the influence of Damien, I was to be distinguished from those of my schoolfellows who professed an entire disbelief there were a few such who let occasional phrases be overheard to the effect that it was laughable and unworthy of man's dignity to believe in a god and that stories such as those of the trinity and the immaculate conception of the virgin mary were simply a joke it was disgraceful they said that such rubbish was peddled about to-day this was by no means my way of thinking even where I had doubts, the whole experience of my childhood taught me to believe in the efficacy of a godly life, such as that led by my parents, which I knew to be neither contemptible nor hypocritical. On the contrary, now as before, I had the greatest reverence for the spirit of religion, only Damien had accustomed me to consider and explain the stories and articles of belief from a more liberal and more personal point of view a point of view in which fantasy and imagination had their share. At least I always took great pleasure and enjoyment in the interpretations he suggested to me. To be sure, much seemed to me too crude, such as the affair of Cain. And once, during the preparation for confirmation, I was terrified by a conception which, if that were possible, seemed to me even still more daring. The master had been speaking of Golgotha, the biblical account of the passion and death of christ had from my earliest years made a deep impression on me as a little boy on such days as good friday after my father had read out to us the story of the passion i had lived in imagination and with much emotion in gethsemane and on golgotha in that world so poignantly beautiful pale and ghost-like and yet so terribly alive and when I listened to the Passion according to St. Matthew by Bach, I felt the mystical thrills of this dark, powerful, mysterious world of passion and suffering. I find in this music even today, and in the Actus Tragicus, the essence of all poetry and of all artistic expression. At the conclusion of the lesson, Damien said to me contemplatively, There's something in this, Sinclair, which I don't like read through the story consider it there's something there which sounds insipid i mean this business of the two thieves it's sublime the three crosses standing side by side on the hill but what about the sentimental story of the honest thief which reads more like a tract first he was a criminal who had perpetrated crimes and god knows what and now he breaks out in tears and is consumed by feelings of contrition and repentance I ask you, what's the sense of such a repentance two steps from the grave? It's nothing but a real parson's story, mawkish and mendacious, 
larded with emotion and having a most edifying background if today you had to choose one of the two thieves as your friend or if you consider which of the two you would sooner have trusted it would most certainly not be this weeping convert no it's the other one who's a real fellow with plenty of character he doesn't care a straw about conversion which in his case can mean simply nothing more than pretty speeches he goes his way bravely to the end without being such a coward as to renounce the devil in the last moment who up to that point has had to help him he is a character and in biblical history people of character always come off second best perhaps he's a descendant of cain don't you think so i was dismayed i had believed myself to be quite familiar with the story of the crucifixion and now i saw for the first time what little personal judgment i had brought to bear on it with what little force of imagination and of fantasy i had listened to it and read it damien's new ideas therefore were quite annoying threatening to overthrow conceptions the stability of which i had believed it necessary to maintain no one could not deal with anything and everything like that certainly not with the all-holiest as always he noticed my opposition immediately even before i had spoken a word i know said he in a tone of resignation it's the old story everything is all right until you're serious about it but i'll tell you something this is one of the points where one can clearly see the shortcomings of this religion the fact is that this god of the old and of the new dispensation may be an excellent conception but he is not what he really ought to be he is everything that is good noble fatherly beautiful sublime and sentimental certainly but the world consists of other things which are simply ascribed to the devil all this part of the world a good half is suppressed and hushed up just the same as they praise god as the father of all life but pass over the whole sex life on which all life depends and declare it to be sinful and the work of the devil i have nothing to say against honoring this god jehovah nothing at all but i think we should reverence everything and look upon the whole world as sacred not merely this artificially separated official half of it we ought then to worship the devil as well as god i should find that quite right or we ought to create a god who would embody the devil as well and before whom we should not have to close our eyes when the most natural things in the world take place contrary to his custom he had become almost vehement but he smiled again immediately and pressed me no further but in me these words encountered the riddle of my whole boyhood which i had hourly carried with me but of which i had never spoken to any one what damien had said about god and the devil about the official godly world and the suppressed devil's world that was exactly my own idea my own myth the idea of the two worlds or two halves of the world the light and the dark the realization that my problem was a problem of humanity as a whole of life and thought in general suddenly dawned on me and this recognition inspired me with fear and awe as i suddenly felt to what extent my own innermost personal life and thought were part of the eternal stream of great ideas the realization was not joyful although it confirmed my mode of thought and made me happy to a certain extent 
it was hard and tasted raw because a hint of responsibility lay therein telling me to put away childish things and to stand alone i told my friend the first time in my life i had revealed so deep a secret of my conception of the two worlds a conception which had been formed since the earliest years of my childhood he at once saw that i was in thorough agreement with him but he was not the kind to make the most of this he listened with greater attention than he had ever given me and looked me in the eyes until i had to turn away i again noticed in his look this odd animal-like timelessness this inconceivably old age we will talk more about it another time he said considerately i see that you think more than you can express but if that is so then you also know that you have never lived in experience all that you have thought and that is not good only the thought that we live through in experience has any value you knew that your world of sanction was simply one half of the world and yet you tried to suppress the other half in you as do the parsons and teachers you will not succeed no one succeeds who has once begun to think this impressed me deeply but i almost shouted there are horrible things which are really and actually forbidden you can't deny that fact and they are forbidden once for all and so we must renounce them i know of course that there are such things as murder and all possible kinds of vice but shall i then simply because such things exist go and become a criminal we shan't be able to finish our discussion today said max in a milder tone you must certainly not commit murder or rape no but you haven't yet reached that point where one can see what is permitted and what is really taboo you have realized only a part of the truth the remainder will come after rely on it for instance for the past year or so you have had in you an instinct which is stronger than all the others and which is held to be taboo the greeks and many other people on the contrary made a sort of divinity out of this instinct and honored it by great celebrations what is now taboo is therefore not eternally so it can change Today, everyone is permitted to sleep with a woman as soon as he has been with her to a parson and has gone through the ceremony of marriage. With other races, it is different, even today. For that reason, each one of us must find out for himself what is permitted and what is forbidden. Forbidden, that is, to himself. You need never do anything that is forbidden and yet be a thorough rascal, and vice versa. It is really merely a question of convenience whoever is too lazy to think for himself and to constitute himself his own judge simply conforms to the taboos whatever they happen to be he has an easy time of it others realize they carry laws in themselves for them things are forbidden which every man of honor does daily on the other hand things are permitted them which are otherwise taboo everyone must stand up for himself suddenly he seemed to regret having said so much and broke off i felt i could understand to a certain extent what his sentiment was that is to say however agreeably he used to present his ideas apparently in a cursory manner he could on no account tolerate a conversation made simply for the sake of talking as he once said 
he realized in my case that although my interest was genuine enough i was too much inclined to look upon discussion as a game too fond of clever talking in short i was lacking in perfect seriousness as i read again the words i have just written perfect seriousness another scene suddenly comes into my mind the most impressive experience i lived through with max damien in those still half childlike times our confirmation classes were drawing to an end and the closing lessons were devoted to the last supper the clergyman thought this very important and he took pains to make us feel something of the inspiration and sacred character of his teaching however precisely in those last few lessons thoughts were diverted to another object to the person of my friend looking forward to my confirmation which was explained to us as being our solemn admission into the community of the church the thought presented itself imperatively to me that the value of this half year's religious instruction did not lie for me in what i had learned in class but rather in damien's presence and influence it was not into the church that i was ready to be received but into something else into an order of ideas and of personalities which surely existed somewhere or other on earth and of which i felt my friend was the representative or messenger i tried to repress this thought in spite of everything i earnestly intended to go through the ceremony of confirmation with a certain dignity and the new notions i was forming seemed scarcely compatible with this yet do what i would the idea was there and gradually identified itself with the approaching religious ceremony i was ready to celebrate it in a different fashion from the other confirmation candidates for me it would mean admission into the world of ideas with which i had become acquainted through damien in those days it happened that i had another discussion with him it was just before a lesson my friend was wrapped up in himself and took little pleasure in my talk which was perhaps rather precocious and bombastic we talk too much he said with unwonted gravity wise speeches have no value at all absolutely none you only escape from yourself to escape from yourself is a sin you should be able to creep right into yourself like a tortoise we entered the schoolroom immediately thereafter the lesson began i took pains to listen and damien did not disturb me in my effort after a while i began to feel something peculiar at my side where his place was a sort of emptiness or coolness or something like that as if his seat had suddenly become vacant the feeling became oppressive and i turned around there i saw my friend sitting upright in his customary attitude but he looked quite different from usual something i did not know went out from him enveloped him i thought his eyes were closed until i saw he held them open but they were stiff as if gazing within or directed to an object a great way off he sat there perfectly motionless he seemed not to be breathing and his mouth was as if carved out of wood or stone his face was white uniformly white as stone his brown hair showed more signs of life than did any other feature his hands lay before him on the desk without life as still as inanimate objects like stones or fruit white and motionless yet not relaxed but as if controlling the secret springs of a powerful life force the sight made me tremble he is dead i thought i almost said it out loud 
but I knew he was not dead. Mesmerized, I hung on his look. My eyes were riveted to this white stone mask. I felt it was the real Damien, the Damien who was in the habit of walking and talking with me. That was only one side of him, a half. Damien, who from time to time played a part, who accommodated himself to circumstances out of mere complacence. But the real Damien looked like this, with just this look of stone, prehistorically old, like an animal, beautiful and cold, dead yet secretly full of fabulous life-force, and around him this still emptiness, this infinite ethereal space, this lonely death. Now he has quite retired into himself, I felt with a shudder. Never had I been so isolated. I had no part in him. He was unattainable. He was further from me than if he had been on the most distant isle in the world. I scarcely understood why no one beside myself noticed it. I thought that everyone would have to remark him that everyone would shudder. But no one gave him any attention. He sat like a picture, and as I could not prevent myself from thinking, as stiff as a strange idol. A fly settled on his forehead, moved slowly down over his nose and lips. Not a muscle, not a nerve in his face twitched. Where, where was he now? What was he thinking? What was he feeling? Was he in heaven or in hell? It was impossible for me to question him. When I saw him at the end of the lesson, living and breathing again, when his glance met mine, was he as he formerly had been? Where did he come from? Where had he been? He seemed tired. His face had its normal color. His hands moved again. But his brown hair was lusterless and fatigued, as it were. In the days following, I practiced a new exercise in my bedroom several times. I sat stiffly on a chair, kept my eyes fixed, and held myself perfectly motionless. I waited to see how long I could maintain this attitude, and what the sensation would be like. However, I merely got very tired, and suffered from a violent twitching of the eyelids. The confirmation took place soon after, of which no important recollections remain with me. Everything was now quite changed. Childhood fell about me in ruins. My parents used to look at me with a certain embarrassment. My sisters had become quite strange in their conduct towards me. A disillusionment falsified and weakened the old sentiments and pleasures. The garden was without fragrance. The wood was no longer inviting. The world around me seemed like a clearance sale of old articles, insipid and without charm. Books were merely paper, music, a noise. The leaves fall thus from a tree in autumn, the tree feels it not, rain drips on it, sun comes, and frost, and the life in it recedes slowly into the narrowest and most inward recess. The tree is not dying, it is waiting. It was decided that after the holidays I should go to another school, leaving home for the first time. My mother, meanwhile, approached me with a special tenderness, a sort of preliminary goodbye, endeavoring to charm me with a love from which I should go with homesickness and unforgetfulness in my heart. Damien had gone away. I was alone. End of chapter 3 The Thief on the Cross 